the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. He said to them, Unless I see his hands and the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, and the doors being shut, stood in the midst of them and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Now 
together as we sing number 268. Number 268, He Lives.
be seated. And as you're being seated, we'll have Carol Johnston come and share in song.
invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is known as the Great Resurrection chapter. And Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, gave some of the ramifications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how it is wrought out in in our lives, and um, we want to look a little bit today at that. I was um, thinking as as Carol was singing, what a what a joyous day that literally around the world, Christians around the world are singing to Jesus that He bore our shame and did it victoriously, and uh, what a blessing to know the victory that there is in Jesus Christ, and we rejoice in that today. 1 Corinthians 15, I'll begin reading at verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. But I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What an amazing account that we thought of throughout this week, the Passion Week, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the scattering of the disciples going back to their old way of life, their fishing and thinking that their dreams and aspirations of a Messiah were, were dashed and destroyed. And then to see the difference that three days makes and the transformation. But I I want us to step back a little bit from all of that and see that this is a part of the battle that has been raging for years and years and years. From the beginning when Satan led his rebellion in heaven against God and said, I will be like the Most High. And he and one-third of the angels that followed him were cast out of heaven. To then in the Garden of Eden where Satan appeared as a serpent and deceived Adam and Eve and said, you know, what God said, that isn't really true. He knows if you eat of this that you will become as God. And from that time on, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, there was established a declaration, if you please, of war. And part of the curse that God brought upon the serpent, upon Satan, he said, I will put enmity, warfare, between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So right there, God established this aspect that there would be enmity between Satan and his seed, and between God and his work. And and we find this as an ongoing theme all the way up to where we are today. But there is a drastic difference made in the Passion Week that we've remembered this last week. But from this time in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, Satan has tried to do everything he can to prevent Christ from paying the penalty for our sin, to prevent Christ from bringing a redemption and an ultimate restoration. The next chapter in Genesis chapter 4, we read that Cain killed Abel. This is a, a definite attack on the seed of the woman. This was the seed of the woman and In Genesis 3.15, he said, the seed of the woman will bruise your head. So right right out of the gate, Satan says, I'm going to try to stop this. I'm going to prevent this. In Genesis 16, 
And we're kind of skipping the rock over some of these to illustrate the warfare that has been going on. But in Genesis 16, um, through lack of faith or, or just human strength, Sarah and Abraham tried to shortcut God's promised son. God promised Abraham a son, and they grew weary in waiting. I'm not blaming them. I would have as well. And, and yet, even there, Satan was trying to intersperse himself into the affairs of man and try to disrupt God's plan. In Genesis 20, he tried to pollute the seed of Sarah with Abimelech by Abraham's lie. Abraham believed a lie that the only way he could protect his wife was to tell a lie. And he told a lie and it looked like Abraham's seed and Sarah would be defiled and God intervened miraculously. In Genesis chapter 37... We read that Satan attempted to kill the line through which Christ would come, attempted to kill Joseph. In Exodus chapters 1 and 2, he tried to cut off the entire nation of Israel by killing the children. He tried to kill the nation again at the crossing of the Red Sea, attempting to destroy them with the armies marching upon them, and God miraculously delivered them as they marched through on dry ground. In Exodus 32, the judgment of God was turned away from Israel to preserve this seed. All of this is enmity. Satan hates God. Satan is trying to cut off the Redeemer. And in all of this, he attempts to do this. In Matthew chapter 2, after Christ was born, Satan is out to get one baby, Jesus Christ. But in so doing, he slaughters all the two-year-olds and under in his attempt to cut off the Redeemer. The warfare, no regard for human life, no regard for the innocent. And again, trying to cut off this promised Redeemer in Matthew chapter 4, directly attempting to get Satan to cede some of his power to Satan, to get him to fall into sin, tempted three times. And every time Jesus says, it is written. And every time Jesus resisted the temptation, that would have interrupted the redemption that Christ came to give. We read in Luke chapter 4 that they attempted to take his life by pushing him off a cliff. And God intervened. We read in John chapter 8 and John chapter 10 that they tried to stone him. We read in John 5 again they attempted to kill him. And every time that this warfare came against Jesus Christ, against God's plan, God intervened because He's God and He keeps His Word. He intervened and then 
in the timing that God had designed, in the timing that He prepared the nations of the world, God sent forth His Son, and in the exact timing with the Roman Empire in rule, with the ones God had already prepared for the trial and the crucifixion, Jesus Christ came and willingly laid down His life. His life was not taken from Him. His life was not, oh man, He got caught in a trap here. No. In fact, He said, why do you come to Me with swords and spears? Before that, He would tell His family, He would tell His disciples, My time has not yet come. But when His time had come... Jesus Christ willingly laid down His life for us as a sacrifice for our sin. And and as we know, He rose victorious over sin, over death, over the devil. And it is the greatest event in all of history. That morning when that lifeless cold body lay in the tomb and the heart began beating again. And up from the grave he arose. Death could not hold him. Satan could not defeat him. And yet Satan didn't give up then. We we read earlier that that they came to him um, and they said, tell them, tell the, 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 the guards to tell people that his disciples came and stole his body away. See, fake news isn't some phenom of our day and age, okay? They, they created a lie. There were others that said, oh, he really didn't die. He, he just went into a, a coma, into a swoon. A number of years ago, uh, a letter was written to a local advice column, and it said, our preacher on Easter said that Jesus just swooned on the cross, and his disciples took him and nursed him back to health. What do you think? The one responding in this advice column said, I want you to take your preacher and beat him with a cat of nine tails 39 times. Nail him to the cross. Let him hang on the cross for six hours. Run a spear through his heart. Embalm him. Put him in an airless tomb for 36 hours. And still, and then see if he still believes that he didn't die. There is no way that these lies that Satan has purported, that his body was stolen away, if there was anyone that would want to find his body, it would be Pilate. Pilate had the Roman Empire coming down upon him. What's going on here? He had the Jewish religious leaders If there was anyone that wanted to find the body, it would be Pilate. It would be the Jewish religious leaders to show that he is dead, that he's not risen. But you can travel the world 
and you will find the bones and the fragments of every religious leader that has ever graced the face of the earth, but you will never find those of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ separates Christianity from all religions because our founder, our redeemer, our savior is risen from the dead. They, they denied that he died. They, even yet today, we played a clip a week or so ago, that this stuff about Jesus Christ living a life, dying, rising again, that's fake news. That's what, that's what people say today. Well, no man in all of history has had more people follow him, more books written about him, and his book endure all the test of time than Jesus Christ. And his resurrection shows the difference. Now, others have raised from the dead. But this resurrection, I I should say others have been raised from the dead by an intervention of God. But this resurrection is different than all resurrections before. It's different than Lazarus' resurrection It's different than any other resurrection. And this resurrection encompassed many ramifications. This was a battle that was going on that Satan is trying to stop the work of God and never once has he been able to. But this battle was about several things. Number one, this battle was about the Word of God. You notice what the angel said. He is risen as he said. This was about the Word of God. If Jesus Christ had not raised from the dead, you can throw this book away. There, there is no basis for believing it. And, and he promised earlier in his ministry as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. I will be three days and three nights in the earth, and I will rise again. They knew that. That's why they put the the seal on the tomb. That's why they put the guards there to protect it and keep anyone from coming. He promised this, and he fulfilled on his promises. The message to us is, we can trust every aspect of God's Word. If Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead, we can't. But because He is risen from the dead, He has proven that God's Word is true. You can count on everything that God said He will do, that He will do it. The battle today that goes on is Satan knows that he can't undo what God has already done, but the battle that goes on in our lives today is to neglect the Word of God, to doubt the Word of God, to disobey the Word of God. The same battle goes on. It's a battle about the Word of God. And even as many of the disciples doubted His Word, many times today we do the same thing. We, we understand the reality of the resurrection, but does it affect 
how we live today. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. And it's all based on the reality of the Word of God. So this battle was, was about the Word of God. This battle was about power. It, it was about establishing who is the ultimate authority. A favorite verse of mine is 1 John 4, 4. It says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. We've just mentioned a few of the attempts of Satan. And every one of them has failed. And even yet today, Satan is active in the world today. He's still trying to disrupt God's plan. You have to give Satan credit for one thing. He's, he's persevering in his, in his work. But everything that God does, it's a manifestation of his power. And, and Satan... Although he is more powerful than we as human beings, he isn't even close to the power of God. And the resurrection was about showing, I, Jesus Christ said, have power over life and death. I have power over sin. I have power over Satan. And nothing can hold him. God is the authority over all creation. He is the authority over death and life. And He is the authority over Satan. There is no question. There is no question who is greater. It's not like, boy, I I hope God ekes out a victory. And yet today we often live as though we do not have the power of God at work in our lives. He tells us we are no longer under the power of sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you to those who are in Christ Jesus. And and this is, well, how do I know that? Go back to the resurrection. Satan thought he had everything where he wanted it to be. And up from the grave he arose. And yet today the battle goes on. So, the battle was about the Word of God. The battle was about a manifestation of who is the authority, who has power. But the battle involved more than that. This was a battle about fellowship. When God created man, He created us to have fellowship with Him. That fellowship was broken when mankind sinned. And, and established were a set of, of sacrifices that needed to be made for sins and needed to be made over and over again. And they all pointed to the Lamb of God that was coming that would someday pay fully for the penalty of sin. And this was done. Jesus Christ came was crucified, but he must rise again to fully pay the penalty for our sin. And he did that to restore we as believers back to fellowship with God. God loves you. 
He created you to fellowship with Him, to commune with Him, and Satan, even yet today, is battling this, and he's trying to keep people away from this. The battle continues today. He wants people ignorant of the gospel. He wants them to pursue other things in life and other religions that are not Christ and Christ alone. We remembered Friday night, Jesus paid it all. The debt of sin was fully paid by Jesus Christ. And now, he said that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall be restored to fellowship with God. This was about fellowship, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we will never, no person will ever have fulfillment until you are restored to fellowship with Jesus Christ. A living, personal relationship with Jesus Christ that only begins when we humble ourselves and call upon Jesus Christ knowing that it is His death and His blood and His resurrection alone that pays for our sin. And when we call upon Him and appropriate and apply His blood to our life, we become a child of God. And we are restored to fellowship. We are restored to all rights and privileges of a child of God. And so it is about restoring fellowship. It is about our soul as well. See, it makes it personal. Yes, Jesus Christ made possible for a restoration to fellowship, but it also is brought down to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He makes it so, so clear and plain. He says, For He, God, made Him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He, God, allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to bear our sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The purpose for this battle, death and resurrection, was for the salvation of our souls. Your sin will be punished. Either it is in the death of Jesus Christ that your sin is punished, or by your own damnation for all eternity, your sin will be punished. The choice is you is up to you. Am I going to choose the finished work of Jesus Christ? Or am I going to figure out and try to figure out some other way that is guaranteed to end in eternal damnation? This resurrection is very personal. And every one of us must decide. It doesn't matter if, if you've grown up in this church and you know the verses and you know if you've never personally turned from your sin and called upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, there is no forgiveness of sin. It doesn't matter what you know. It, it matters 
what you've done in relation to this crucified and risen one. So it is. It's about our own soul. Everything hinges on this. Everything rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it goes beyond that. It isn't just to save us and give us a home eternal in heaven, as great as that is. But the resurrection and this battle that took place and the victory that was won is about justice and ultimate victory. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is your sting? Where is the victory of sin? There is no victory in sin because Jesus Christ swallowed up victory. I love in Colossians, it tells us that each step that Jesus was making following His resurrection, the death and the resurrection, He was making a public spectacle out of the defeat of Satan. He, in essence, he's walking in victory with some swagger. He is showing there is no one even close. And he's walking in that victory, and what looked like defeat was actually ultimate victory. And, not only that, it guarantees victory for us, And it guarantees that someday there will be justice. Easter reminds us that even though injustices may run rampant in our present world, even though it appears that darkness is pervasive and final and evil looks like it may be prospering, The resurrection reminds us that God is working, His love is real, His power is unquestionable, and the resurrection is real, and He is a living God who will someday be manifested in all victory and will bring justice once and for all. At the time when the Caesars were in power and reigning and ruling, injustice was commonplace. Very much like it is today. If we we had any inkling of the injustices, of the corruption, of the bribery, of the evil that is going on in our day, it it would shake us to our very bones. And it could cause us to say, is there any hope? But because He lives, we know there will be justice. Because He lives, we know there will be victory. And we can rest in the fact, all is well, God is alive, and nothing can stop His plan. And that's what the resurrection tells us. And so... um, As we look at the world and and what's going on around us and sometimes what's going on in us, 
we need to come back and say, wait a minute. God is the one that is in control. He is alive and well, and He began a good work, and He will continue that work until the day of His return. The resurrection tells us you can put truth in the grave, but it won't stay there. And they're putting truth in a grave today. They're calling evil good and good evil, but truth is undefeated. And truth will be revealed and truth will triumph. And because He lives, it really does change everything. And we need to live in light of that. And we live in a world that needs to know there is hope. There is reason for joy because we serve a living Savior. Because He lives we can look forward to a glorious victory. I, I love watching victory celebrations because every time I do, I, I think that is wonderful, but that's nothing compared to what we're going to have in heaven. And every burden of this life will be lifted and gone. Every tear will be wiped away. There will be no sorrow. It is the ultimate victory. It's interesting, after certain victory celebrations, they'll interview players and, and, well, what's next for you? We're back in practice tomorrow. we got to defend this title. There is no defending the title of Jesus Christ. He's already won the victory, and someday we will be in the fullness of it. That's why we say, He is risen! He is risen indeed! It proves that the Word of God is true. It proves He has all power over the greatest enemy, death. It proves that He wants us in fellowship, that He came for our soul, and that someday He is going to bring justice and ultimate victory. We rejoice in that. And I trust today that you know in your heart that you have personally called upon Jesus Christ to forgive your sins. And he says in 1 John, he says, I wrote these things unto you about the life of Jesus Christ, about the battles, about the resurrection. I wrote these things unto you that you may know that you have everlasting life. And he boils it down into the most simple, basic form He said, he that has the Son, Jesus Christ, has life. He that does not have the Son does not have life. And we rejoice in the resurrection that has conquered death and Satan and hell and eternally guarantees justice and victory. May we rejoice in His resurrection today. Heavenly Father, We thank you for the record that we just touched briefly on, on the battle that Satan has been trying to destroy and disrupt and defeat your plan. Lord, I am thankful that nothing can stop your will and your way, that you are all-powerful, that all power is given unto you in heaven and in earth. 
And Lord, I thank you for the reminder that every word of yours is true, that we can trust your word, that we can rest in the promises that you give. Lord, we're thankful that all power is given unto you. And Lord, I pray that we would live in the resurrection power, that the joy of the resurrection would be personal in our lives. Lord, that the peace of the resurrection would be ruling in our hearts and lives. And Lord, that we would rest and look forward to the victory throughout all eternity. Lord, I pray if there's one here today that does not know you, I pray today they would call upon you for the forgiveness of sins. And Lord, if if they have questions about it, that they'd... They'd mention it to someone here this morning before they leave. Lord, we plead your mercies that we would walk in the joy of the resurrection. We pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. From the dark domain, and he lives for 
Jesus. Let's stand together as we sing 587, 587, Victory in Jesus.
risen. He is risen indeed. And he's coming again. Maranatha. Maranatha.